0: Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier News.
1: Good afternoon, it's four o'clock, I'm Matthew Henderson. And I'm Sean Gallagher, you're listening to EN4 News. You know your Thursday headlines. Israeli troops are advancing closer to Gaza City as the Palestinian death toll has hit 9,000 following three weeks of heavy airstrikes. Here at home, both the Jewish
2: and Muslim communities are the victim of a rise in hate crimes during the Gaza conflict.
1: And the NHS has been hit by a big drop in numbers, applying to become nurses, despite a pay rise.
2: But first, a round-up on today's top stories. First Minister Hamza Yusuf has unveiled a further £250,000 to support displaced people in Gaza. The money will help provide access to food, water, shelter and medical supplies and takes the total given to assist relief efforts via the United Nations to three quarters of a million pounds.
1: The Prime Minister has admitted that risks posed by artificial intelligence could be huge, but Rishi Sunak insists it's important not to be alarmed. There is a case to believe that it may pose risks on a scale like pandemics and nuclear war, and that's why, as leaders, we have a responsibility to act, to take the steps to protect people, and that's exactly what we're doing. He was speaking at the Global AI Safety Summit held at Bletchley Park in Milton Keynes. The Scottish government was not invited to participate in the event. Scotland's innovation minister has complained about the omission. Richard Lockhead said Scotland is a leader in several AI areas and could have made a valuable contribution. Marks
2: and Spencer have apologised after posting an image on Instagram that showed Christmas hats in the colours of a Palestine flag being burned in a festive scene. The photo showed red, green, and white Christmas hats thrown into a lit fireplace with the caption, This is Christmas. Do what you love, like saying no to paper hats. M- MS has apologised and said in a statement that the image is from an advert recorded in August and that it was
1: purely unintentional. A woman in Australia has been charged with murder after serving family members a beef Wellington laced with poisonous mushrooms, killing three relatives. Erin Patterson cooked the killer meal at home in Victoria in July. Patterson's parents-in-law, Gail and Don Patterson, died, along with her husband's elderly aunt, Heather Wilkinson, after being served a meal which is suspected of including poisonous death cap mushrooms.
2: Edinburgh City Council is to declare a housing emergency amidst a homeless crisis in the capital. First Minister Hamza Yousaf advised he will watch proceedings very closely.
0: Kyle Campbell reports. Edinburgh is set to become the first city in Scotland to declare a housing emergency with a record number of homeless families. The City Council tabled a motion today to set up an emergency action plan and seek urgent funding from the Scottish Government. Figures show approximately 5,000 households in the capital are in temporary accommodation. If councillors agree to the motion, they will write to the First Minister and Housing Minister, Paul MacLennan, asking for the additional funds.
1: Storm Caden has hit the UK today, bringing 100 miles an hour winds and torrential rain. The Met Office has issued a yellow weather warning across Scotland, with the east coast set to bear the brunt of the storm.
2: Let's get more on our top story. Civilians trying to free- flee the conflict in Gaza have faced delays at Rafah crossing at the border with Egypt. Meanwhile, Israel's offensive is continuing and the humanitarian situation is worsening. The World Health Organization is warning that a public health catastrophe is imminent and there have been more calls for a ceasefire. Sean Donald Barry reports.
3: In the far south of Gaza, a number of foreign nationals and some British citizens are finally able to flee into Egypt. The lucky ones. As Israel's bombardment and blockade continues and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza worsens, the route in for aid groups remains limited senior humanitarian advisor to the UK government, Sam Wheatley-Smith, outlined the pressing humanitarian concerns.
4: Food, water and shelter are always the basics, but also you have telecommunications knocked out. And I think people often forget how important communication is, both for the actual aid effort for anyone working in in the region, not being able to communicate out, but much more importantly for the people who are involved in that situation, communicate with your family, find your family members. If you've been moved to different refugee camps, whatever it might be. For a lot of children, there'll be safeguarding issues where you've got Children who've lost parents who are now wandering the streets. And obviously you also can get degradation in civil order.
3: Wheatley smith went on to explain how aid groups go about gaining access to deliver and administer aid, and why Gazans might not be getting the help that they require.
4: Before you can get aid into anywhere, political access is the first issue. In this case, political access is far more complicated than you would have in any other region. There'll be both peace talks and ceasefire talks going on, but also talks to gain political access for the humanitarian teams. Every different NGO, government, organization, anybody will have their own risk threshold. UK government and FCDO will have a much lower risk tolerance that I would suggest. While the Gaza Strip itself is being actively bombed from the air, I wouldn't imagine there's going to be very many aid workers at all being put into that situation.
3: We're continuing working to significantly step diplomatic up diplomatic efforts to halt the fighting temporarily. Were boosted today when U.S. President Joe Biden joined the calls for a humanitarian pause.
5: <inaudible> but <inaudible> with the IDF
3: reiterating <inaudible> that it's quote a time for war, no pauses have came. Just how effective could one be?
4: Massive. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that it generally gives the population under siege. A chance to recollect themselves, catch their breath. Just the pause and the trauma is a big is a big thing for itself. But also that's a huge window of opportunity to get aid into the country. Those pauses are not a movement towards a long-term ceasefire. They're very much a uh, give everybody a pause so you can get essential aid in.
3: Well across the UK, a group of prominent charities such as Oxfam and Save the Children are together calling for a more permanent end to the fighting. Another of those organisations, ActionAid, while unable to record an interview, told us the following. While we think humanitarian pauses are a welcome first step, we don't believe it goes far enough. We're really calling for a ceasefire so that aid can be reliably delivered to Gaza. 217 trucks since the 21st of October, when normally 500 a day come in, is nowhere near enough. Meanwhile, First Minister Hamza Youssef has announced further support for the people of Gaza.
0: There must be an immediate ceasefire to allow a humanitarian corridor open, to allow supplies, including fuel, to come into Gaza
3: But whether any aid will be able or allowed to address the urgent crisis there is still unclear. Sean Donal-Barry, AN4 News, Edinburgh.
1: The events in the Middle East have led to an alarming surge in hate crimes targeting both Jews and Muslims here in the UK. We're joined in the studio by a reporter, Federica Margarella. So Federica, has the Israel-Gaza conflict made an impact here in the UK?
6: Yes, it has. In the UK, a number of websites which log hate crimes are reporting an increase in incidents of both Islamophobia and antisemitism in the three weeks since the Hamas attack on October 7th. Even if the war is unfolding thousands of miles away, it is also inevitably having an impact on the lives of Jews and Muslims in the UK.
1: So what kind of numbers are we talking about?
6: So, the Community Security Trust, which represents uh, British Jews and collects reports of anti Semitism in the UK, has recorded just over 800 anti Semitic incidents between 7 and 27 October. This number is even higher than all racist incidents recorded during the first six months of 2023. On the other hand, Tel Mama, which does the same job for Islamophobia, recorded 291 incidents of anti-Muslim hate between 7 and 19 of October, which is six times greater than the number of incidents recorded during the same period last year. Both reports indicate a substantial and alarming rise in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents.
1: So what are people on both sides facing?
6: People on both sides are facing discrimination. The Community Security Trust reported disturbing incidents against Jews in the past weeks. This includes hateful comments, threats to life and physical attacks. In London, Manchester and Leeds, posters of Jewish men, women and children held hostage by Hamas have been defaced or removed. And in one case, a Jewish man faced death threats on the London underground. Graffiti featuring Basticas has also begun to appear. Tell Mama documented incidents targeted at Arab, Palestinian, and Muslim communities. In one of these, a Muslim woman was verbally harassed in the street by a man calling her Hamas terrorist. In another instance, the Platform X, formerly known as Twitter, removed a post from a woman in Staffordshire who called for the bombing of Muslims in reply to a viral photo of Muslims praying uh, from a far-right account. There are also issues in schools, where a Muslim teacher who wears a headscarf was subjected to remarks from a group of students calling her a terrorist.
1: Are these incidents in any way related to the pro-Palestinian protests?
6: Uh, The protests uh, protests taking place across the UK are organised by peace uh, campaigners and mostly attended by thousands of people who are calling for a ceasefire. However, there have been episodes of anti-Semitism and some have shown active support for Hamas action. This has created a frightening climate for Jewish people living in the UK. And it's also very challenging for those Palestinians who are opposed to the action of Hamas.
1: Thank you for joining us, Federica
2: number of people applying to become nurses in Scotland has dropped significantly following the pandemic. That's despite nurses being awarded a pay rise last year. But why don't more people want to join the nursing profession? Miles Campbell reports. Coming off the back of the COVID-19 pandemic, nurses have been
4: put into the public eye as one of the most vital parts of our society. But does their 2022 pay rise reflect the hard work they do? I chatted to student nurse Ellie to find out why there's been a recent drop in applications to become a nurse
7: the stats for people applying for nursing has gone down basically what we need is like a whole we need way more we need way more nurses going into the going into the system so then the nurses that we already have can be further trained and move up the ladder basically there's just not enough people to fill the positions at the moment and there's not enough people applying i don't know if that's from possibly like the scared aspect of Covid. People were maybe thinking about it before and now they're actually like I don't really want to put my life at risk which is fair enough and they also see like how hard they were worked during that during that period of time where that basically like we were all valued and everyone thought the NHS like during those two years and they came out every Thursday to clap which yeah it was it was a really nice thing but also like They were just clapping. It wasn't really anything individualized to the person that's going out there and working four or five twelve and a half hour shifts a week because three of their co-workers are all off of COVID, potentially one of them's life threatening.
4: It is clear to see that becoming a nurse isn't as lucrative for newer students, which
1: is a worry for the future of the NHS. Miles Campbell, Ian Four News. Did you know that this is the Day of the Dead, the festival that originated in Mexico and takes place across Latin America every November the first and second? You may have seen it featured in the opening scene of the James Bond film Spectre. Mexican families gather on El Dia de los Muertos to remember their their lost loved ones. Here in Edinburgh is a good excuse for a party, and Hugh Sloan is here reporting. Today
4: is the Day of the Dead
1: and over the next few days, many will be celebrating. A traditional holiday that honors those who have passed and celebrates their memory, including a big feast, paper mache skeletons, and even a graveyard party. If it's time to dust off your dancing shoes, Edinburgh presents Latin Fest, a week-long party leading up to the Day of the Dead. Edinburgh-based DJ, Atis Arros will be celebrating tonight by headlining this event. We spoke with him to find out more about what this day means to him.
8: What happens on this day, it's basically that all of, it's a bank holiday in Spain, so most of our family members unite, uh, we see some friends, but mostly it's a family day where you get to spend with them and mostly what we usually do is we go to the cemetery and we bring flowers to the ones that are not with us anymore, so it's kind of a day to celebrate them and to remember them while you're with your family, having some nice lunch, some quality time with them. So. It's a very, very, very beautiful day and a very interesting day. So that's where it more or less comes from, though,
5: the day of all science. Hugh Sloan, EN4 News.
2: You're listening to EN4 News, a reminder of today's top stories.
1: The World Health Organization have warned that a public health emergency in Gaza is imminent
2: And the conflict had led to a rise in hate crimes for the UK's Muslim and Jewish communities.
1: And still to come, we discuss the implications of Nicola Sturgeon's missing WhatsApp messages.
2: We'll have today's sport headlines.
1: And we'll tell you how to stay safe this Guy Fawkes night.
2: Today's First Minister's Questions was dominated by the UK COVID inquiry, with angry exchanges between the party leaders. Tory leader Douglas Ross asked Hamza Youssef to admit that Nicola Sturgeon broke the law. If the former First Minister has deleted WhatsApp messages sent during the pandemic. Joining us now is our political correspondent, Edgar Baldu. What was the atmosphere like in the chamber?
9: The atmosphere today at Holyrood was very heated, especially between Douglas Rose and Hamza yourself. The First Minister tried to have a defensive position, mentioning the pledge that he did to have the 14,000 messages delivered to the UK inquiry. Um, while at the same time, avoiding any criticism of his government and mentioning the information learned these past three days of what he called the UK government's shameful uh, huddling of the pandemic. The more heated moment of the debate was when Ross asked Yousaf about the allegedly delete, deleted COVID WhatsApp messages by the former SMP leader. It's not up to Hamza Youssef or any SNP
2: minister, current or former, to decide what is relevant to the inquiry, to pick and choose which messages are going to be handed over. This week, it was reported that Nicola Sturgeon has deleted her WhatsApp messages. We know that destroying or withholding evidence from an inquiry is illegal. So does Hamza Youssef accept that if Nicola Sturgeon or any government minister has destroyed WhatsApp messages relevant to the inquiry, they would be breaking the law.
7: First Minister. As Douglas Ross has mentioned, the former uh, first minister, let me just remind Douglas Ross that, in terms of accountability and transparency, Nicola Sturgeon stood up day after day, every, virtually every single day did 250 media briefings, Members. 70 parliamentary statements, and full accountability, full transparency, first minister, first minister, answering questions. You don't minister. want to hear it, presiding officer. And can I remind the opposition, particularly the Conservatives, when the former first minister stood up, did those daily media briefings, spoke to the public, took questions from the media, it was the opposition that wanted to stop that from happening in the first place. So why is
2: the deleting of WhatsApp messages relevant?
9: The relevance of this topic lies on the demand by citizens, especially by those affected by COVID-19, for government transparency and accountability to understand how and why those in charge of public institutions were unable to prevent and handle more effectively the pandemic. This demand is what in the first place made possible the UK COVID inquiry to happen.
2: Yesterday, we saw Nicola Sturgeon refusing to answer questions, uh, refusing to answer whether she has or hasn't deleted WhatsApp messages during the pandemic. Is she the
9: only one accused of it? Uh, no, she's not. Uh, former Deputy First Minister John Sweeney and National Clinical Director Jason Leach are accused of routinely deleting messages during the pandemic. Finally, Chief Medical Officer Professor Sir Gregor Smith is also alleged to have used an auto-delete function on WhatsApp messages.
2: In case these allegations become true, could they face any legal consequences?
9: It's not completely clear, as it's important when this deletion took place. In August 2022, the Scottish Inquiry issued a do not destroy order. This will mean that after that date, deleted message, messages could clearly have legal repercussions. I spoke this morning with a member of the Scottish Information Commissioner and with public law professor at Napier University, Zhong Dong who both agreed to me that any intentional deletion of information about public administration will be considered a breach of duty to proactively provide information and will constitute a breach of the Act. That then, if Commissioner referred to the court, that could charge them with contempt of court.
2: One of the reasons that some of the accused have brought forward is data security reasons and that any non-relevant information could be deleted after a month, right?
9: Uh, yes, uh, they pointed at the mobile messaging policy of November 2021. However, this guidance leaves a fair amount of room for individual discretion. However, Hamza Yousaf, who served as Justice and Health Secretary, Secretary during the pandemic, kept the messages. And yester- yesterday, Kate Forbes, former Finance Secretary during the pandemic, said to have kept and shared her messages with the inquiry.
10: I have shared everything that the COVID inquiry has asked of me. Now you'll know that the COVID inquiry is evolving, it's on a rolling basis. And since the requests were first put to me a number of months ago, I have provided them with everything they've asked for. My approach has been that where something is relevant to my role as minister, I have retained it.
9: When asked about Sturgeon's positions, Ford say to speak for herself, which has been interpreted by some on on Twitter as an attack to Hamza and the SNP.
2: And I assume this is going to politically affect the SNP, but I think that's unfortunate all we've got time for for this discussion. So thanks very much, Edgar. Thank you.
1: And the weather is affecting travel tonight. Callum Watt has the latest. This is Radio Energy.
8: Travel.
11: As we enter rush hour in the capital, things are looking relatively calm despite the weather. There's currently queuing traffic on the Edinburgh City bypass westbound before the Sheriff Hall roundabout, which is adding around 10 minutes onto journeys. The usual queuing in the evening along Glasgow Road at Maybury are delaying those heading out of the city as well. And now I don't want to speak too early, but the M8 is moving along nicely in both directions, so hopefully that continues into the
5: evening. Now, the weather on Radio Energy.
11: In terms of weather, as we've already heard, the Met Office has issued a yellow rain warning which covers the entire east coast of Scotland and runs until 6am tomorrow. While England will bear the brunt of Storm Keedon, there is still a possibility of flooding and travel disruption in Scotland. So listeners are advised to stay up to date with all the latest via the EN4 News website. In the capital, there will be heavy rain in, um, around until around 10pm tonight before drying up somewhat overnight. Um, and looking ahead to tomorrow and the weekend, there will be scattered showers until Friday evening before drying up but remaining chilly into Saturday. And
2: that's EN4 News, Travel and Weather. Time now for this afternoon's sports uh, news. Here's Joe Bell.
5: There were midweek pictures for 10 teams last night as match week 11 finished up in the Scottish Premiership. Rangers doubled their point gap over St Mirren as the Glasgow club ran out 5 0 winners over Dundee at Dens Park. But the match was met with controversy as Rangers fans brought a delay to the start of the match following the use of flares setting off the fire alarm in the ground. Dundee manager Tony Doherty says the disruption affected his players.
8: It was disruptive, you know, and it maybe did impact a little bit on my players. Because as I say, there was a lot of things that was out of character for what I've seen from a
5: team this season. And it's important we just dust ourselves down and make sure the reaction is good on Sunday. This afternoon, the SPFL have come forward and condemned the Rangers fans, saying their pyrotechnic use was unwelcome and very concerning. St Mirren themselves lost to a late Ocean Gu strike as Celtic claimed a 2-1 win, cementing themselves at the top of the table.
4: Josh Kerr. ...with a performance of his lifetime!
5: World Athletics Championship gold medalist Josh Kerr... ...has revealed his coaches helped him through one of his lowest points. The Scot was named Scottish Athletic's 4J Athlete of the Year last weekend... ...fending off competition from Laura Muir, Gemma Rieke and Neil Gurley. Josh credited the work of Danny Mackey and Mark Pollard... ...who he says helped put him on the right path. England's Beth Mead and Ben Chilwell are leading a new campaign... ...to help footballers deal with mental health issues... Common Goals Create the Space initiative aims to train people at clubs to be able to provide support to those who need it. The project's long-term goal is to have volunteers available to help players throughout the football pyramid, from grassroots upwards. And shock in the Carabao Cup as holders Manchester United crashed out after being beaten 3-0 by Newcastle. The fourth round clash was a repeat of the final eight months ago at Wembley, which Eric Ten Hag's side won. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe says that didn't affect his players.
11: The spirit of the group, I think, just showed in the performance, the togetherness, the unity. Um, This is a really tough place to come and to to score the goals we did at the times we did and just the manner of the performance really pleased me.
5: Elsewhere, David Moyes' West Ham handed Arsenal defeat in their tie as the Gunners succumbed to a 3-1 loss. Mikel Arteta took full responsibility, despite his side having over 70% possession.
9: Credit to West Ham because they defended really well and and they play and they are very good opponents and they are really well organised, but we should not... Many things much better, especially the urgency, the speed on the ball. So, a lot to to improve.
5: Across the pond, the Texas Rangers have been named as Baseball World Series champions for the first time in the franchise's history. After a 5-0 win over the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Rangers were able to clinch a 4-1 overall win in a best-of-seven series. And finally, Celtic's 2-1 win over St Mirren last night was the first fixture in which the Green Brigade were not in attendance following their ban earlier in the week. Our reporter, Tommy Hondros has more.
8: The Green Brigade have been a staple of the Celtic sport ever since the group were formed in 2006. The Ultras group contribute massively to creating an atmosphere inside Celtic Park, but have not gone without their fair share of controversies in the past. This recent ban comes in addition to the group's existing one to go to away games, essentially making it impossible for any members to attend a Celtic match for the foreseeable future. The ban comes in the aftermath of the ultras group defying the club's pleas to not bring Palestinian flags to games. However, the club insists the ban has been put in place for various other reasons. These include the widespread use of pyrotechnics against Dutch club Feyenoord, rushing turnstiles and forcing open fire exits against Motherwell, illegally gaining access to Celtic Park against Lazio to bring in a prohibited banner, violent and intimidating behaviour towards stewards away to Hibernian. Ryan McGinley, a contributor to fan media page The Celtic Way, says that the absence of the Green Brigade was very much apparent in Wednesday evening's game.
0: What is, what is clear is that they bring an atmosphere that is unrivaled and when they're not there, it's a struggle for the team to get going in terms of atmosphere coming from off the pitch, on the pitch.
8: This isn't the first time that the Celtic board have clashed with the Green Brigade.
0: The board's relationship with the Green Brigade, it's tumultuous, I think. It's up and down. It seems to be every season, around about this time of year actually, that something happens. I don't know if that's down to fines, down to political statements, but the I think the, the the relationship between the two is fractured.
8: Ryan believes that the best course of action to resolve this issue is for talks to take place between the club and the Ultra Group.
0: People were thinking it was because of the Palestine flags that Celtic came out and said that that isn't the case but it was down to safety concerns. If that is the case, then I think both sides need to sit down and just rattle something out, rattle out a resolution, because it's a circus, it's a sideshow that doesn't need to happen.
8: For now, the Green Brigade will not be attending their team's matches, and it remains to be seen whether that will change any time soon. Tommy Hondros, EN4 News, Edinburgh.
2: Now, we all remember, remember, at the 5th of November, but are we all as familiar with the dangers of bonfire night? Holly Southwick is here to tell us how to stay safe as the fireworks sparkle.
6: Local councils in Scotland are strongly encouraging that people attend local organised firework displays rather than setting off their own in an attempt to reduce the number of people buying them. Fire departments are working hard with local display organisers to provide the public with a safe and enjoyable bonfire night.
4: Um, well, the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service would always recommend that people would go to an organised event rather than trying to do something themselves. Everyone that um, is organising these events will be um, licensed. They're insured. Um, let's say fireworks isn't something you want to dabble with. It is like highly flammable products, pyrotechnics. So you're better. Um, it's it's better for children to go along, and it's probably ease of mind for adults. Um, that their kids can't get their hands on anything. They're always at a safe distance and, like I say, they abide by the law as well.
6: Scottish Love and Action is one local charity in Edinburgh using the night as a means to fundraise in order to carry out their vital work empowering vulnerable children in India.
10: We fundraise in different ways, but one of the ways that we fundraise at this time of year is we have a firework extravaganza uh, so uh, maybe it maybe sounds quite fancy, but it's because it's such a, a big event. Um, so uh, then we have two displays, um, each um, having two and a half thousand people. And um, we've been doing that um, for, for quite a while. Um, so this year is our 11th year. Um, so um, we hold it at um, a local my um, school um, called um, George Watson's College. Um, and then it's a ticketed event and so uh, people can buy a ticket and that allows them to come to to the event uh, to watch the display but also get the the pre-entertainment so it's a mixture of sort of scottish and indian sort of culture and music and then we, we finish off with the fireworks Um, So we have um, other fundraisers um, during the year, uh, but this is obviously um, sort of the the one time when the whole sort of community gets together. And certainly um, with things like the City of Edinburgh Council have sort of stopped their their public firework display. So it means that um, we sort of feel we're meeting a a public need. You know, we're putting on an organised display, um, something that's safe and secure, people can come to. Uh, So um, it's a great sort of community atmosphere. We would certainly say that we are providing a, a community benefit because it's something that um, the local council um, is no longer able to provide and, and many local authorities across um, Scotland. So it's something that people um, um, are looking for. There's still a demand out there. There's certainly an opportunity for people to have um, a good um, a good night out um, but celebrate um, sort of supporting charity at the same time.
6: Holly Southwick, Ian for News, Edinburgh.
1: Here is a reminder of today's headlines. Israeli troops are advancing closer to Gaza City as the Palestinian death toll has went towards 9,000 following three weeks of heavy airstrikes.
2: Here at home, both the Jewish and Muslim communities are the victim of a rise in hate crimes during the Gaza conflict.
1: And that's all from EN4 News. On behalf of ourselves and the team, Good night.